And with the crown sitting upon his forehead, the end times can commence. Yes, uh, quick question. Yes? Why exactly are we seeking to engineer an apocalypse? Why? Because of the prophecy. Yes, yes, now I, I get that the book says that in the years after the death of the two great musicians... Long rest, Prince and David. Uh, ...that a troublesome tyrant will rise and fall in the West only to threaten to rise again. Long may the brow of Trump be troubled. And so into this time a queen will die and a king will rise. Glory be to the death of Lizzie. Hail to her son, Chuck Princey sex Coburg. Yes, but, well, isn't a prophecy meant to be like... Prophetic? Yes, and we have seen the signs, read the omens, ingested the intestines. Yes, and very gory it was, but it's not a prophecy if we're actually killing people now, is it? I don't quite understand. Well, I was put in charge of killing Prince and giving David Bowie cancer. Admittedly, we didn't have to do anything to make Trump make a fool of himself, but still. Yes? Well... And you killed Queen Elizabeth II with a shovel. And it was well covered up too. Frankly, I was surprised just how well they pretended the whole affair in Aberdeen didn't go down. Yeah, but so how is this prophecy? If we're just going around murdering people to fill out some kind of apocalyptic check sheet, I'm not sure how it's all foretold. Ah, but you see, you don't know about the prophecy's prophecy. Sorry, the what? The text that says we two plotters will engage in acts which bring about the end of the world. There's a prophecy about the prophecy? Yes. Can I see it? Sure. It's in this ring binder. Huh. Let's see. Uh, and in the year of our Lord 2023, the other plotter will ask, but how is this a prophecy? And they shall find out that their actions were foretold in this prophecy, thus making all their actions predestined. Hmm. It seems to sort that out. The prophecy is indeed a prophecy, uh, which luckily absolves me of all my guilt, given that this proves I have no free will and thus will suffer no desert due to my actions. Yes, well, if that's all in order, I have to now go and engineer another papal scandal. Just leave the prophecy's prophecy on the desk when you're done with it, will you? Okay. Let's see what else is in here. A prediction about the space goats eating the sun... Recipe for vegan clam chowder. Oh, missing maps of North Head. Hold on. All contents of this ring binder are property of the author one. You wrote this prophecy. I did. Due to another prophecy. It's prophecies all the way down. The podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy, featuring Josh Addison and M. Dentith. Hello and welcome to the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. I am Josh Edison. They are Dr. M. Dentith. We are both in Auckland, New Zealand, and that's all I'm going to say on the matter. It's wet here. So, it so wet. So, wet so cold. Mm, mm. Now, I assume that, like me, you spent a, a good six hours standing to attention singing God Save the King over and over again during the, the entire coronation last week. Let's assume that I did, and then mm. you can tell 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 me why you would possibly think there was a good use of your time. I, I just didn't think there was there was any other possibility of of you know there, there just wasn't an option. We you had to witness him being given the the, the gloves of rectitude and the 
trousers of of peace. I can't even remember what it all was. You got all this. There was a sport involved. I don't know. Mm. Yes, no. It was it was it was a, a, an affair full of pomp and pageantry and circumstance. I assume I didn't watch it either. It was. I'm, I'm aware it happened. Did you at least make a quiche? No, I did not make a coronation quiche. I did absolutely nothing to mark the occasion. I'm afraid to say. I went out for dinner, had a drink, not to celebrate the king though. Mm. Just well, to celebrate romantic love. What we could do is uh, devote an entire episode of a podcast to matters coronation-y. Well, I mean, we are people with our fingers on the pulse of the nation and mm. also people who are behind the time. So this seems like a really great yes. use of our time and the time of our listeners, who, of course, might be listening to it the week after the coronation or listening to it 30,000 years after the death of our son and thus want mm. to know what a coronation is and why we keep talking about Chucky Prince Charlie. Mm. So we have for you this week a, a bit of a grab bag of, of various conspiratorial things we could find that sort of relate to kings and crowns and what have you, uh, and we're going to shove them all in your face right now. Indeed we are, after this message from Sting. Stirring. Stirring speech from Sting there. Hmm. Yeah, so we have a bit of we have have a bit of stuff of kingly conspiracies throughout the ages. Some of it old, some of it new, some of it new but referring to old things. It's all very confusing, but I'm sure we'll get through it. So unfortunately for me, you might recall it wasn't very long ago that we said goodbye to the the what the conspiracy segment and rattled through a bunch of a bunch of conspiracy things that we came up with that we didn't think would quite fill out an entire episode. And one of those things that I, I was thinking that I might tell him about at some stage was the death of William II. So given that he was the second actual King of England after after William the Conqueror. And the second person to be called William as well, I believe. Mm, yes, no, that they invented the name by it was the divine, divine right of kings to be called William or something like that. Yes, yeah, so I thought, in case you happen to miss that one, it was quite, it was quite an, a quite a fun little story. So I thought maybe we could start with that one. Let's go back to what the conspiracy. Mm. Do you want to play another sting? Do you still have the what the conspiracy sting? It's time to play what the conspiracy. Ah, that was one of your better stings, I have to say. Always yeah, like I, I really, really do like mm. that tune. Mm. So anyway, uh, William II, son of William the Conqueror, he's the fellow who came over in 1066, the, the Norman king, and, and uh, turned into... Invented the lollipop. Well, actually, no, sorry. Prince Harold invented the lollipop. But Battle of Hastings, arrow to the eye, you know. You know or the not. There's a bit of, bit, of, bit, of, bit of confusion around whether or not... Do, do anyway, you get me involved in the Bayou Tapestry again? I mean, mm. really. We had enough trouble the last time. Yes. Uh, no, so his son, William the William II uh, seems to be more commonly known as William Rufus, which is Latin for William the Red. He had red hair at some stage or something like that. Um, he eventually became the King of England after the death of uh, his father, William the Conqueror. Um, interesting philosophical footnote, William II is the man who appointed Anselm, the famous medieval philosopher, 
as archbishop at the time and was kind of on the outs with the church a little bit he this will come into it but he was he was at odds with um with the with with the clergy for various churchy reasons that I don't really understand but the interesting and possibly conspiratorial thing is what happened on the 2nd of August 1100 AD according to records which is that William Rufus was out with a bunch of his his noble friends doing a bit of hunting when he took an arrow in the chest and, as is traditional, died. So there's a lot of question about was this... An ex- was this a hunting accident? I mean, the sort of thing that happens to this day, people misidentifying a target or something and or shooting something they shouldn't have. was it murder? Mm. So what we do know is that he got shot... And everybody legged it. Everybody was was just like, "Oh Christ, we're getting we're getting the hell out of here!" Which and just I, ran for it. I think actually shows that the seeing someone get shot and not wanting to be at the scene scene of the crime goes back to the very moment that someone learnt to hurl a spear in someone else's direction. Mm. So I mean. That sort of a reaction, I, in and of itself, I think, is consistent with possibly with a plot that they wanted to to remove themselves from, or possibly an accident. I mean, it's it's the sort of that 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 behaviour. I'm, I'm more used to seeing it in children, but the something goes wrong, and they're all guided. I'm not going to be around to take the blame for this one. So the king's body was left lying in the middle of the forest with an arrow in his chest. He got found by someone else and dragged out. But um, so, so we, the thing that makes it more suspicious is that his younger brother, Henry, immediately was straight off to Winchester to secure the treasury and then got himself crowned post-haste. Um, almost almost suspiciously quickly, he got himself made King of England. So now, admittedly, some people take this to be... This seems like premeditation, so can I just kill my brother and then take the crown of England for myself? But other people might go, hmm, there are other families and other claimants to the crown who, if I don't get the succession plan done right quick smart, I might be having a lengthy battle about who exactly gets to succeed my brother to the British crown. Mm, exactly. So, and, and at the time... At the time, there was no suspicion at all, as as far as I can gather, because like I say, William wasn't very um, beloved by the church, and so they were they were quite happy to see him dead. Basically, this this sort of thing was was as far as they were concerned, it was you know divine providence. It was a, a wicked king getting his just desserts, and so they were they were fr- frankly quite happy for it to have happened. In later times, people have sort of have wondered a little bit. The one thing that I've heard people bring up in favour of it maybe being on purpose is that supposedly the arrow that killed William II was fired by a nobleman called Walter Tyrell, who was apparently known for being an expert bowman who was not the sort of person who would carelessly just loose an arrow without um, having identified his target first. So there's nothing at all conclusive but the whole just, thing yeah, has a bit of a bit of a fishy look to it. Things just kind of add up. A brother who rushes too quickly to claim a crown, an expert bowman who's never known to miss a target in the past. I mean, it does sound like it's an Ocean's Eleven style heist. Ah, oh, we've got an Ocean's Eleven style oh, yes, heist coming up. But, but um, before we get there, we should probably talk about the perennial question that's on everybody's yes. list. Is King Charles a vampire? 
Yes. Now, this is a topic that we, we uh, brought up in a bonus episode quite some time ago. I don't even recall which episode it was attached to. But this is this is one of the many royal conspiracy theories going around. Is Charles the, what is he, second, third? I third, can't Charles the Charles, third. Charles, Charles the first third. lost his head. Charles the second was the king coronated as part of the restoration after Cromwell died. And Charles the third is... The new one. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of any accolade that we can no. give to Charles III other than he waited a very long time to be king. He waited a very... So maybe he'll be known as Charles the Patient, although apparently maybe. not particularly patient when it comes to any matters of state that require him to use a fountain pen. Mm, no, no. So, Chucky III. Um, no, actually, well, actually, right, if we're going to rank our Chucky films, Child's Play 1, good film. Child's Play 2, Good film. Charles Play 3, not such a good film. And then the Chucky films, which are no longer the Charles Play films, but your Bride of Chucky, great film. Is it Son of Chucky? Seed, seed of, seed of oh, Chucky. Yes, yeah, because, of course, the, the whole point of Seed of Chucky is the is the gender of the mm. child, a Glenn versus Glenda situation. Good film. Then we get to the first straight to streaming film. Curse of Chucky. Curse of Chucky, which I actually think is quite a good low-budget thriller, which initially seems to have no relationship to the mainstream films at all and then turns out to be very much a sequel to the last film that we saw. Then we get the Asylum Chucky film, the name Uh, of Cult of Chucky. Cult of Chucky. Audacious film. Not entirely sure it's a great film, but I like what they're trying to do with it. Then we get season one of Chucky, which was par excellence. And then season two, which once again, great idea, not entirely sure about Mm. the execution. Also filmed during a pandemic, so possibly the fact that it's filmed in a school with virtually no students around, probably explained by not being able to have many cast members on set at any given time. Mm. As far as horror franchises go, I think the, the Child's Play ones are one of the more consistent, really. And there's, there's, it, it there aren't many total duds apart from that sort of reboot one that the other people with the other rights did, which I understand was pretty terrible. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't great. It wasn't terrible, it just wasn't great. I think the the art of the Chucky film is it's always reinventing itself. It's never the mm. same film twice, which means sometimes they go for an audacious plotline, which doesn't quite work, but they always seem to bring it back in the next film. Hmm. Anyway, obviously, this leads us to the important question of whether or not King Charles is a vampire. Now, there are, there are reasons why people say this. Uh, one is that, according to genealogy records, Prince Charles is possibly descended from Vlad the Impaler himself, the, the inspiration for Bram Stoker's Dracula. Apparently, the prince can trace his lineage back, back, back through his great-grandmother, Queen Mary, to uh, Vlad IV, who was the half-brother of Vlad the Impaler. No, so there's me, that. I mean, there's yeah. probably several million people who are who are related to... Um, Vlad the Impaler, at least. And the thing is, the royal families of Europe are all interconnected because the mm. thing about royalty is it really only marries itself. So, of course, it would turn out that Prince Charles would be a distant relative of a ruler of Romania imposed upon the Romanian people 
by the Turks for the sheer fact that, of course, all those families just kept on marrying and intermarrying and intermarrying into the genetic melange, which is the British Mm. royal family as we know it today. Mm. I saw a thing um, the other day actually talking about royals, and it was mentioning when they, they found the body of Richard III under it. Car park in Leicester or wherever it was. Yeah, you, you get and, drunk um, one night, you fall asleep, mm, you don't know where you're going to wake up. Uh, but because of that, they were able to get a sample of his DNA, uh, which is partly how they were able to um, identify the body from based on people who they knew were um, descended from Richard III. And uh, they were talking to a person who sort of worked on it and says she often gets requests from people saying, you know, can you, if I send you my DNA, can you tell me if I'm related to Richard III? And she was sort of like, well, I mean several million people are related to Richard III. That's that's just how time works. But anyway, uh, but so apart from the genealogy, of course, the other thing is um, old, old King Charles, he's a, a big fan of Romania and Transylvania in particular, isn't he? Yes, he was even offered the honorific title of Prince of Transylvania due to his links to the region and promotion of Transylvania as a tourist destination, which makes sense because as a vampire... He must return to his ancestral home to lie in the dirt, to re-energize himself. Mm. So he is a big fan of the country. He apparently has two 400-year-old retreats in Romania. And, and I believe he described as being often. rustic. Rustic, and, whatever and that means, for something owned by a king. Yeah, exactly. I think rustic means it probably only has about 18 bedrooms mm. as opposed to standard 27, and probably only has 14 servants as opposed to the standard 56. Mm. Uh, and so much does he love Romania. He was once in a promotional video for the Romanian National uh, Tourist Office, which included him joking that Transylvania is in my blood. Now yeah, you've blood, you've written you've written it in the notes here, mm. joking Transylvania is in my in my blood. Is King Charles capable of making jokes, or are he's we simply pe- taking? He's capable of reading a scripted joke. I'm Transylvania sure Transylvania is in my blood, and assuming it's a joke when he may have just said it with all due mm. seriousness, hiding in plain sight. Yes, I don't know. And then there's the whole thing about porphyria, the um the the, the iron deficiency disease that makes your skin sensitive to sunlight and stuff, which some people have suggested that might be the basis of some some of your sort of vampire or werewolfy folklore of people who can't stand to go outside during the day. Um, although other people have pointed out that this doesn't really make a lot of sense because that particular disease is actually very rare, but vampire stories are, are quite common across a whole bunch of a bunch of cultures. So so who knows? King Charles, vampire? Yeah, probably, but we'll but, never know. But also an alien shape-shifting reptile, mm. which just goes to show that maybe your favourite film is right after all. Mm. My favourite film, Life Force. Yes, space vampires from out mm. outer space. Where do alien shape-shifting reptiles come from? Out, out of space. space. Yes. I don't... I, I mean, once again, do have to, I do have to emphasise you all should see the film Life Force from 1984 or something. I can't remember when it came out, 1980s, uh, because it's an excellent, excellent film. King Charles is a vampire, I think is the... If, if you take any moral from this episode, see Life Force, The King's a Vampire. That's true. But you'll always be thinking of Patrick Stewart. I will. I really will. Okay, is it heist time? It is heist time. <laughs> it's time for the Thomas Blood Crown Affair? Kind of. Yeah. 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 Yes, no. Uh, in 1671... 
there was an attempt to steal the crown jewels of England by just the most fabulously named villain you could think of, Thomas Blood, who was known, who was also known as Colonel Blood. I mean, that's now, a G.I. Joe villain, surely. I am thinking now of a joke I heard on the podcast Bunta Vista Social Club, where they were talking about a story from the UK, and one of the hosts said, you know, you know that theory about how everyone is kind of named after their profession? And they're going, oh, yeah, you just read the next name in the list. And the next name in the list was a someone drink water. Okay, so, oh, they must have known how to really drink their water if that's what they're named after. Why is Thomas Blood named after Blood? I don't know, but that's his name. He was a uh, he was sort of he was a bit a bit a bit noble. I think he was sort of Irish English. He was a bit a bit of a scoundrel. He got up to all sorts of stuff, but he was quite sort of he was relatively sort of powerful. Had a bit of a following, but at some point uh, after after various various schemes and roguery of his. Um, didn't pan out, he decided he was going to steal the crown jewels because what else is a, a young man to do? Yeah, and this story this story is going to get very complex very mm. quickly because mm. you're going to think the crown jewels are about to be stolen. And the thing is, they're not. They're not. So mm. let's start. It's 1671, and Colonel Blood, pretending to be a parson, as colonels are wont to do, and a woman who's pretending to be his wife, decide to go and visit the jewels. Now, Josh, where were the jewels located at this time? I think it was the Tower of London. It was the, the, there was a, a specific building, the 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 House of the Jewels, or the jewel the jewel house. So the, the, there was, uh, I, I believe, when they weren't on display, they were sort of kept down in a vault, and when they were on display, there was a they were out in a room behind sort of a metal grate or something. So you, in, anyone could pay to go in and and view the crown jewels at that particular time. Especially a parson and his wife. Mm. And there was a, the man in charge of the crown jewels, basically the master of the jewel house. Uh, it was a fellow called Talbot Edwards. Um, he was there. Now, so so, so the, the, the start of the scheme is blood and a woman under assumed identities go in to see the jewels. His, his fake wife then fakes some sort of a, a stomach complaint and and asked Mr. Mr. Edwards to go and fetch her some help or fetch her some sort of medicine to, to ease her condition. Which and, means uh, he wanders away from the crown jewels, which Colonel Blood and his fake wife do not steal. No, you'd you'd think you'd you'd, you'd think that's the point. Ah, they've got him out of the room. They're alone with the jewels. It's it's heist in time. But no, no, no. They're just getting started. This was just the beginning of their plan. So while Mister Edwards was away fetching house, uh, fetching out his wife, the the, the two of them that uh, their their quarters were in the building. They lived in the same same thing. So his wife invited Mister Blood and his fake wife into their quarters to help her sort of you know convalesce while while she was um, recuperating, which was all according to their plan. For after she had helped them out, they were incredibly grateful to her and went away and then came back a little bit late. It came back a, a day or two later and and to say, say, oh, thank thank you so much for all your help when my wife had her little spell earlier. They gave her a gift. I think they had some a, a bunch of fine gloves that they presented to her as a gift to say, oh, thank you so much, um, and basically struck up a friendship with the two of them, with Mr. Edwards and his wife. And this is quite an involved friendship mm. because eventually they kind of come to an agreement that there should be a marriage between their families, between the Edwards's actual daughter 
and Colonel slash Parsons Blood's fictitious nephew. So it's not mm. just they become friends. They become close enough friends that over, say, a meal and drinks. They talk about uniting their families in holy matrimony. And Blood just says, oh, I've, I've got a nephew. My nephew would be perfect for your daughter. And, of course, in these days, you wouldn't actually ask the daughter, do you want to get married to this person you've never met? No, the parents would go, what a capital idea. Yes, we shall marry our daughter to your nephew you've never met. Mm. There was a, there was, they sort of, you know, promised some sort of a financial incentive. The nephew apparently was, was well enough to do that, you know, the woman, that the, their daughter would be well looked after and what have you. And so again, everything was going according to plan. He'd, he'd gotten goods with the person in charge of the jewel house. And now he had an excuse to bring a bunch of other people that he knew over to their house um, in, in, to, uh, on, on the pretext of going to have a nice dinner with their soon-to-be in-laws. Yeah, so so on the night one of the people they bring in is the fictitious nephew. the fictitious nephew, not his actual nephew, yeah. but just a man pretending to be his nephew. And a couple of other, I think his, his brother and uh, Colonel Blood's actual brother-in-law and a couple of other guys, they all come on the 9th of May, 1961, they all come to have dinner with the Edwardses. And while Mrs. Edwards is off preparing dinner, um, Colonel, the good Colonel slash Parson slash Thomas Blood, convinces Edwards, "Hey, can you can, can you show us all the jewels? Just 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 us blokes. Can we can we go down and have a look at them?" And so he did. He took the he took um, these the, the the entire party off to the the vault where the jewels were kept out of hours. And, and finally, finally, after all this preparation and, and, and laying, laying groundwork and what have you, it was finally time for them to act. So they got into the vault. They opened, as soon as, soon as the, the door was open, they chucked a cloak over Mr. Edwards. They knocked him down. They hit him with a mallet. They tied him up and gagged him and stabbed him just for good measure. Um, and then took to swiping the jewels, which they um, they didn't treat with a lot of respect, it has to be said. No, having decided to go through this rather audacious plan to steal the crown jewels, the first thing they do is use a mallet to flatten St. Edward's crown so they could just easily put it beneath, and blood still pretending to be a parson, beneath mm. his clerical cloak. And another conspirator, Blood's brother-in-law, decides to basically cut the scepter and the cross in twain to be able to fit them into his bag. What a third man, and this is, I think, the best part, takes the sovereign's orb and stuffs it down his trousers. He sure does. So there you go. They've mashed the they've mashed the crown. They've filed the scepter and cross in two. And yeah, one and and then finally the 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 sovereign orb is is next to this other fellow's crown jewels, as it were. Now, Mister Edwards, who I I should point out was apparently seventy seven years old, which is actually time. immensely old in that's, the seventeenth century. Pretty old. I feel like I should check that again. I'm pretty sure I'm that 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 almost doesn't quite sound right. But he was seventy seven years old. He's tied up. He's gagged. He's been beaten and stabbed. But he basically says whatever that, that they would say in that time, the equivalent of, not on my watch, you sons of bitches. Out he was not, not going to take this lying down, despite the fact that he was presumably at that time lying down, having been knocked to the ground and tied up. But nevertheless, he, he, put, he, he struggled 
he struggled against his bonds. He managed to, to get himself free and get his gag out enough that he could make a make a racket and um, raise the alarm. Now, there, there are a couple of versions of the story. It seems slightly uncertain exactly what happened. Some versions of events also say that in a stroke of bad luck for the thieves, Mr. Edward's son, who had been who, who was in the military and had just re- recently returned home, just happened to, to come in at the time um, sort of challenged the the man who the thieves had left out outside the room to be their lookout sort of you know who the hell are you is my dad sort of thing and and so between mr edwards and his son they were able to raise it on other people think maybe it was just mr edwards yelling yelling blue murder on his own but the point is the alarm was raised and the thieves had to get out of there quick smart they had horses waiting and they they made a run for it but but not successfully basically the um they were caught and the jewels were recovered. I think all that was missing was a, a couple of a couple of actual jewels had been knocked out of the orb or something. It, it fell out of the guy's pants and banged off the ground or something. Basically, they got the um, they got the jewels back. Presumably, banged the crown back into shape and 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 welded Sold the it together. The or something, yeah. All the other bits. Now, Josh, I'm assuming after such an audacious robbery, which included attempted murder, that blood and his cohort were killed by the British crown as a demonstration that one does not steal the crown jewels of England. Yes, that's practically treason. I don't know if it's officially. You know, you'd think so. You'd think this would end badly for Colonel Blood, but um, he kind of got away with it. He he went before the king. King Charles, oh, yeah, it was King Charles II. That's right. He went before the king... And the king uh, sort of spoke to him and, and ended up sparing him, and not just sparing him, but giving him land in Ireland that was worth a decent amount of money. Indeed, a lot more money, apparently, than um, old Mr. Edwards, who, who actually fo- you know, is mostly responsible for foiling the theft. Um, he was promised uh, £300, and he never got most of it, apparently. Uh, although he did apparently, uh, he, he he dined out on the story of being the man who foiled the uh, attempt, the theft of the crown jewels for the rest of his life. But um, yeah, no, so Blood, Blood actually ended up doing quite well out of this um, attempted theft, not to mention attempted murder and grievous bodily harm. I know you might think doing quite well was his life was spared, but no, his life was not just spared. He was given land in Ireland. Mm, he was, yeah. And people are like, so why why would the king have done this? We're not quite sure. There are a bunch of theories. Some people might have thought that, as we said, blood was like, although this was sort of 1670, and in this day and age, um, a, a public figure is likely to have their image, you know, all over the place. We'd, we'd, many people would know what they look like. You could get, you know, you could in 1671 be a relatively well-known person and yet still managed to disguise yourself as a parson and some dude's not going to recognize you. So he, he, he did actually, as we said, have a bit of a following. He, um, he may have been able to sneak into the, the, the Jules house incognito, but there are enough people who were, were fans of him and indeed followers of him that some people have thought, well, maybe the king might, might have been a little bit afraid that if he did actually kill Mr. Blood, all of his followers would, would, would mount some sort of an uprising uh, some some sort of a revolt. So that's one theory. Another theory is that the king was just sort of just liked the cut of his jib. Just um, 
had a, had a bit of a fondness for scoundrels and and was amused you know just 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 was 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 like ah ah kid you got moxie i like you i liked i i like the way you think apparently at one point blood claimed that um the, the the crown jewels which had been valued at a hundred thousand pounds at the time, which a hundred thousand pounds in sixteen seventy one. That's I mean, yeah, that sounds that's, like a shitload of money. Yeah. I mean we could put we could put that into the inflation calculator, mm. but we've but just seen the, well, yeah. we've just seen the coronation of King Charles mm. where they spent so much more money than ever needed to be spent to crown an old man and say, it's all right, Derry, you're king now, it's fine. Yes. Uh, but yes, no, apparently Blood had claimed that they were only worth £6,000 and the king was like, ah, oh, you scamp, you rapscallion. Ah, I get it, I can't stay mad at that face. You get it, get out of here, go live on this land in Ireland. So that's one That's one possibility. There's a suggestion that... Um, Blood, blood. Obviously, if he if he can amass a bit of a following, he was a fairly charming fellow. And apparently, one suggestion is that he just basically flattered the king and and said that uh, you know what a what a what a lovely kingly king he was. And supposedly, that one one theory is that he had um, he he confessed to the king that he had actually intended to kill the king at one point. You know, obviously, the fact that he was stealing the crown jewels was because he wasn't a fan of the. Um, the royalty at the time, um, and claimed that at one point he was planning to kill the king while he was bathing in the Thames, but then found himself in awe, in awe of the king's majesty and couldn't bring himself to come through with it. And again, the king was like, oh, oh, you, oh, you silver-tongued devil, ah, get out of here, take this land in Ireland. That's another another possibility. And one more, one more sort of conspiratorial, more more conspiratorial theory is that perhaps, um, perhaps the king was in on it a little bit. There was a, suspic- uh, a suggestion that the king was a bit short of money at the time, which has led some people to suggest that maybe, maybe it was all part of the con, all part of the plan. Get him to steal the jewels and then live like a king, as it were, on the. I don't know insurance money or, or or go halves in the in the in the cash after blood fenced the crown jewels or something. I don't know. Another way. I mean that that theory doesn't make much sense. And that once you've lost your crown jewels, you kind of have to create new ones. And of course, mm. part, part part of the problem after the restoration was that there really weren't any crown jewels left. Cromwell had disposed of almost everything that had been part of the royal treasury in the past, which is kind of why the crown jewels were being kept in the Tower of London under lock and key, because it turned out they weren't when Cromwell's revolution occurred, which meant they were just a, they, the fans of the royals were not able to spirit the crown jewels away with ease. They were seized by the revolutionaries so now they were being kept under lock and key and once you've had them stolen on your behalf you kind of have to make new ones and they just made those new ones so mm. i'm not entirely sure i'm buying that particular theory yeah so so like i say we don't actually know we know he we know that blood basically got away with his cunning plan um, we're not a hundred percent sure why, but I think um, no matter no, no matter why, it was probably an interesting story. Had we been there, indeed, indeed. Mm. If had we been there, had you played Colonel Blood and I played your fictitious wife, mm. if only, if, if only. only, we can own, we can all but dream. Mm. Now, other kings, or at least other 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 rulers, 
uh, with with uh, conspiracies related to them. There's a course you, you can't you can't go past ancient Rome. I'm going to stop you there because mm-hmm. you've you've wandered into my trap. It's time to play what the conspiracy. Have you? Have you fooled me? Have you pulled the wool over my eyes? Have you pulled a cloak over my head, beaten me with a mallet, tied me up and stabbed me, metaphorically? And now I'm melleting your crown like it's nobody's business. Yes, it's time to play a short What the Conspiracy. And you've got a bit of a hint, because the notes say ancient Rome, Julius Caesar and Caligula, which of course both had conspiracies around their demises. Actually, there's... So... I need you to do the standard three questions. Mm-hmm. Who the conspiracy? What the conspiracy? Oh, sorry. When? Yeah. When the conspiracy? Mm-hmm. What the conspiracy? And why the conspiracy? It's been such a long time. Such a long time. I'm getting a bit rusty with my what the conspiracy question. When and the where so, and the, what the whatever. Yeah. Okay. Well, you've, you, you would have me believe that, that the, um, the idea that it's to do with ancient Rome uh, is is a misdirection, but I'm going to call your bluff. I'm going to say it's a cunning double bluff, and we are actually talking about ancient Rome. So that's the when and the where. And as for the what, I assume you're going to be talking about the assassinations of Julius Caesar and Caligula, who are actually the pets of the other emperor, Claudius. They, they, they were his hamsters, Julius and Caligula. You do realise that Claudius wasn't alive during the reign of Julius Caesar. Yeah, but he's a forward-thinking man. <laughs> Very forward-thinking. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> he would have known He would have known that eventually there would be a Julius Caesar, and he named his, one of his hamsters after him. Uh, Claudius is after Julius Caesar. But then he was a backwards-thinking man. What's your problem? Well, I mean, many Romans did think that was yeah. true of poor Claw Claw. So you're right on one measure, although we shouldn't put ancient in front of Rome there. We are uh... talking about Rome. And I guess because we're talking about Vatican Hill, we are talking about the bounds of ancient Rome. And now we're talking about Vatican Hill. It's quite clear we're talking about the modern Roman Empire, the Roman Catholic Church. And who is the leader of the modern Catholic Church? Why, it's the Pope, surrounded by his princes, the Red Hats, the Cardinals. So the location is ancient Rome. The what are papal conspiracies, and the when is 1958 and possibly also 1963. Josh, tell me about the enclave of 1958. It's a thing that I don't know anything about. Precisely my Mm. point. So 1958 is the enclave that voted in as Pope of the Roman Catholic Church, one Pope John XXIII, who previously was known as Cardinal Angelo Roncalli. However, this is not true, for there was another man who was voted Pope in that enclave and has been denied the title of true Pope. And that man is Cardinal Giuseppe Siri. Okay, and he was assassinated. No, no, no. Caesar? He died. He died no. of. He died. He died of natural causes in the I think late eighties. So Siri was a contender. We know in the nineteen seventy eight conclaves there were two of them because the the Pope who was first voted in nineteen seventy eight 
only lasted two months before he died, that he was definitely in the yeah he was definitely in the running. He was actually said to be a front runner for the initial ballots, but never got quite enough votes in the first count, and ended up being superseded by other cardinals who managed to kind of get their groupings and become the ones who were in the running in the third and fourth days of. On, of Enclave. But this is a claim that actually in 1958, someone who wasn't Pope John XXIII was elected Pope and then it was covered up. And we know this because on the first day of balloting in 1958, there was white smoke emanating from the chimney of the Sistine Chapel. And if the smoke was white, you know that someone has been elected Pope. However, after a few minutes of white smoke, suddenly the smoke turned dark, suggesting that there was a last-minute change of mind. And the claim is Giuseppe Siri was the person who was voted in Pope and was then persuaded to change his mind and not accept the papacy so that someone else could become pope in his stead. It wasn't a that wasn't a miscount or something. It wasn't a case of the um what was it? Giving the Oscar to La La Land when it actually should have gone to the other one? I can't remember. That was a few years ago now. Wasn't a Marissa Tomei situation? These people don't make mistakes, Josh, no. No, there was something suspicious going on. And why would Siri be denied? So every time I say that, I think my phone is going to start yeah. reacting. If I just say the, if I say the the wrong sound at the beginning of Siri, my watch is going to start making a lot of claims. Mm. Why was Siri denied the papacy? Because Josh, he was a staunch conservative. In fact, he was such a staunch conservative that during, sorry, in the aftermath of World War II, he ignored the fact that some members of his diocese assisted people like, say, Adolf Eichmann, help flee Europe to go and live in South America. That's how staunch a conservative Giuseppe Siri was. Hmm. So was it an actual Nazi sympathizer or just... Didn't really give a shit. Well, people claim he probably wasn't an actual Nazi sympathizer because he financially supported the Italian resistance during the Second World War and was known to aid and shelter priests who themselves helped Jewish people escape Italy to Spain during World War II. It seems to be more the case that Siri was, this is a weird thing to say, a kindly man who cared about people so much that he wasn't going to dob them in for helping other people escape their fate. So he seems like he's a fairly complex character, but he was a staunch conservative compared to the rather progressive Pope John the Twenty-Third. He was also in a kind of a very weird situation towards the end of his life. So there was a radical French cleric, uh, Marcel Lebrive, who was a Catholic archbishop and founder of the Society of St. Pius X, which is a very, very, very traditionalist Roman Catholic society, which is against things such as mass in the Vulgate, and very much against any form of progress, progressivism. 
the Society of St. Pius X got into trouble with Rome for ordaining bishops against the wishes of the Holy See, which meant that Lebrev ended up being schismatic with Rome. Siri was a good friend with Lebrev and actually found it rather difficult to negotiate that relationship, given that Rome was saying, uh, this guy needs to be excommunicated, with Siri being, well, I'm kind of sympathetic towards his traditionalist values. At the same time, I kind of don't like people disagreeing with the Pope because one of my traditional values is whatever the Pope says goes. Mm. So, I mean, is this is this sort of something that has been found out after the fact, or is it something that was always sort of known, but we just kind of glossed over it because we've got a Pope now and and whatever, let's not um, let's not make a fuss. Well, so on the twenty fifth of October, when the smoke went up, which was white and then turned black, it was reported in the media in Italy, particularly in Rome, particularly on Vatican Radio, the radio station of Vatican City, that white smoke had gone up and a pope had been elected. And it was only after the smoke went black that people went, oh, we probably should try and find out what's going on inside, which is difficult, because when when the cardinals are in enclave, there's meant to be no information in, no information out. But essentially, they spoke to some of the papal guards and said, oh, no, there's there's been a bit of an accident. We didn't really mean to send up the, the white smoke. Uh, the election is still ongoing, but it was reported in the media at the time. Right. So what happened to Mr. What was his name? Siri? Giuseppe. Giuseppe. Not, not, not Mr. Cardinal, please. Cardinal, of course. Okay, yeah. Siri. I don't know. Giuseppe is Italian for Joseph, so I'm just going to call him Joey, Joey C's. Joe Siri. Mm. Joe Siri. Yeah. Well, I mean, he continued on working in the papacy. He actually played a role in John the Twenty-third's regime. He played a role in Pope John Paul II's regime. Uh, but Josh, you're not asking the per- the pertinent mm-hmm. question. Why would Giuseppe Siri be denied the papacy? Well, I, I suppose I was going to say, didn't you just say it's because he was too conservative or not conservative enough or something? But I suppose yeah, the question is why would why would he be voted and then they change their mind? Yes, that is a that is that is an odd um, odd state of affairs. Because Josh, upon his being voted in as the chief cleric of the Roman Catholic Church. Turned out he was actually a woman. No. Turned no. out the Freemasons and a Jewish conspiracy told the Holy See that the Holy See would be destroyed by thermonuclear devastation. Right. They were going to blow That's, up Rome. So who, what, what, what? Yes, I know. Stunning, isn't it? It's just blowing your mind. Well, it is a little bit because it makes no bloody sense. What is... How how did if 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 they're an enclave and no information gets in or out for starters, how would a secret society be in any position to tell them to threaten them with thermonuclear annihilation? Because Josh, alone, because Cardinal Angelo Roncalli, who had become Pope John the Twenty Third, was himself a secret Freemason. Right. At this point, I'm starting to have to wonder where your information is coming from. Uh, some of this is coming from Hutton Gibson, the father of Mel Gibson. Ah, right. Well, <laughs> an estimable source of, uh, of of 
all church-related information. But yes, you ask a good question, where have these claims been made? Well, they've mostly been made by Catholic conservatives who really don't like the fact that after Vatican II, the Catholic Church somewhat liberalised. We need to put the word somewhat there. Yes, uh, re- relative to what had come before it. Yes, it was they, they, they were liberal, liberal than it had been in the past. Yes. Yeah. In the same way that Aotearoa New Zealand is less racist towards its indigenous people than Australia, which is to yes. not say that we're not racist towards our indigenous people. We're just slightly better of, than our, our neighbours yeah. who are so much worse, so, hmm. so much worse. And being slightly better than someone who's truly terrible doesn't actually make you good. It not just makes you not as bad as a really, really bad person. So, yeah, so these claims emerge in the 1980s. We get Gary Jeffrey, who claimed in the 1980s that Siri was the true pope and was being held against his will in the Vatican, which seems rather strange because Pope John Paul II had actually promoted Siri to a fairly senior position within the church, and Siri was roving around Italy, if not the world. So if he was being kept against his will... See? Now there, yeah. finally, yeah. I, finally, I've been expecting all this time. Siri yeah, to, I know. Yeah. So it seems that being kept against his will must have been some kind of mental prison, as opposed to a physical one. Uh, Louis Herbert Remy claimed in 1986 that actually the uh the were involved. They were the messengers, the go-betweens between the Freemasons and the people involved in the Jewish conspiracy to blow up the Holy See. And Malachi Martin made similar claims, but also claimed that Siri was also the winner of the 1978 papal election, but bowed out due to threats. And it's Malachi Martin who claims that we even know what the papal name of Giuseppe Siri would have been if he had been elected pope, which is Pope Gregory the 17th. Paul right. L. Williams, who also talks about Pope Gregory the Seventeenth, agrees that Siri should have won at least three papal elections, but it wasn't the Jews or the Freemasons or the Benai Brith who were responsible for threatening the papacy. Can you guess who actually was the true threat to the Holy See in Rome? Um... I'm going to go with that wacky scoundrel Thomas Blood. I mean, it's a good guess. It's the sort of thing he'd do, surely. You should be thinking the Soviet Union, comrade. Oh. They were the true threat to the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, I guess somehow they had thermonuclear weapons. At least you can't. You can't. You, you've yeah, got that, to give them that, that. That, that is true. Mm. That is true. They did have thermonuclear weapons. So, yeah, we've got a, a variety of different claims, largely based upon absolute hearsay. Actually, no, he, actually, hearsay is the wrong word. Based upon confabulation. Siri himself never made any claim about being a contender in the 1958 or 1963 papal elections. In fact, crucially, at the time, people thought he was far too young to be a papal contender back in 1958 and 1963 for the sheer fact he was only 52. And it was considered that a 52-year-old would be far too young because, A, 
you need old popes to allow for the church to progress because as one pope dies, a new pope comes in and they bring with them the theories of the moment. And two, old men wanted the chance to be pope. So voting in a young man as pope basically meant the other cardinals didn't have a, a chance of ever becoming pope afterwards. Mm. With respect to the so-called evidence that shows that he was elected. The radio broadcast itself means nothing because with no information in, no information out, Vatican Radio was relying on smoke signals like the rest of the world. And as people have pointed out, the problem with smoke signals is that it's a little easy to get them wrong. In fact, In 1939, which led to the election of Pope Pius XI, there was a similar issue with the signals being let out, except this time round, it was the wrong way round. When they were going to announce the election of Pope Pius XI, the smoke started out as black and then eventually turned white, which led to a large amount of confusion then as to, sorry, Mm. do we... Do we not have a Pope or we do have a Pope? Which meant that after the same situation occurred in 1963, the Catholic Church looked into finding a different way to generate colour out of smoke. In the old days, it was basically wet hay versus dry hay. Now they actually just add a chemical compound to the fire to generate the smoke. So technically, they could announce the papacy with any color that you would choose, mm-hmm. and yet they stick with plain old black and white because those dang conservative Catholics, they're never going to get with it. No, no, that's probably true. Now, um, I think that's I, th- I think we're about out of time. Before we go, I do have to address the fact that I, I cast aspersions on Marissa Tomei a minute ago, suggesting, referring to the, the thing that she was never supposed to win an Oscar when, in fact, she did win. Of course, we all know that she gave an excellent, excellent performance in My Cousin Vinny, and I think people's eyes were merely raised by the fact that it was other well-known actresses were up against her. But frankly, I, I, I stand by Marissa Tomei. Give her, give her the Oscar. There was no mistake there. As I've never seen My Cousin Vinny, I have, good. I have no opinion on this matter. And indeed, apparently of all films that sort of uh, centre around a court case, My Cousin Vinny is the one that's most often used in actual law schools to show a, a, a good example, a good and realistic example of a lawyer advancing a case and, and, and proving their client was innocent. Good. Good, I say, about, about a film that. I've never watched and probably will never watch. Mm. So there you go. Well, so, so the, the morals then of this episode are threefold. See Life Force, see My Cousin Vinny, Chucky Three's a Vampire. If only... Child's Play 3 had been about a vampiric Chucky, may have mm. made that weak film slightly stronger. Mm. But it didn't. So, we're at the end of, of this uh, this this episode, which is... Been a roller coaster. I, 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 guess, I guess a commemoration of the coronation of our, our new sovereign, in a way, sort of. That's our excuse, anyway. I mean, uh, we, we, we talked about Charles II, we talked about, we chalked about, we chalked about, we definitely chalked about, we chalked about Charles III. I guess, I mean, we could have talked about the death of Charles I and made it a Charles trifecta. Mm, but we didn't. We did and now not. now we're done. 
Uh, we're done, except for the fact, of course, that we're going to go and record a bonus episode for our bonus patrons, the most bonusy of bonus people there are. Uh, and we're just going to talk. We're not going. To, I, all going to plan. We will not mention coronations or kings at all. I think, or even Kish. Mm. Uh, we might have to talk about Tucker Carlson. We might have to talk about books. We might have to talk about the moon. Could be. Could be literally anything, but probably literally those three things. Yeah. I suspect mm. actually you've, you've summarized the bonus episode in the words you chose to use. Mm. Well, now in that case, the only word I choose to use from now on is goodbye. Hey, Siri. You've been listening to a podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, hosted by Josh Addison and M. Dentith. If you'd like to help support us, please find details of our pledge drive at either Patreon or Podbean. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com.